Thank you for tuning into the Freedom Church podcast, where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this week's sermon. Good morning, Freedom Church. Welcome to those online and those here on site this morning. Can you believe it's Palm Sunday? Like, I'm so excited for next week. How many of you guys know last week, last year, Easter Sunday, we were watching it online, and now we get a chance to celebrate together and worship together Easter Sunday. I can hardly wait. I'm going to go on record and say this is going to be the best Easter experience we've ever had at Freedom Church. So, man, I'm excited. Bring your friend. Pray for somebody. Man, and we will be releasing and debuting our first song that was was composed and written here at Freedom Church. Make sure, man, let's take some time to pray for people next, man. Think about two or three people we can bring next week. You know, 85% of people would say yes if we invited them. Lord, we pray next week is an awesome opportunity to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and what you did for us, Lord. And we know last year we get a chance to celebrate that. This year we get a chance to come together as believers, Lord. I pray That we will not just think about ourselves, but we would, Lord God, pray and bring others. Show us who you want us to invite. Amen. Man, uh, thank you for believing in what God is doing. Thank you for, for, man, investing what God is happening. God is moving at Freedom Church. And let me show you, not just moving spiritually, but there is dirt moving. Let's watch the screens real quick. Look, man, the land is clearing up. Man, trees are moving. Look, it's flattening. Things are happening. And guess what? Pretty soon a church will be there. And it's all because if you're praying, you're fasting, you're serving, you're giving. I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. This wouldn't happen without you. And I, I got a couple of announcements that I got to build before we get into the sermon today. God is moving. And one of the things before God is moving, you got to get ready for the move of God, right? Like God's going to send an incredible move of God. We got to dig a ditch. And one of the things here at Freedom Church that, that I've had over my life is I'm always the visionary. Always seeing what God has in store, but I've always need somebody that's going to come in and kind of integrate what has happened. And for years, in our years, especially throughout our ministry early on when we were youth pastors, I'm the why and the what, and, and Jennifer has always been the how. And if I, and if I try to minister without the, the why and the, the what, this is what we're going to do, this is why it needs to be done, but how to do it, I, I'm just a 30,000-foot guy. And for years, me and my wife Jennifer have worked and operated in that because of some different challenges and some seasons of Jennifer's just had to do some other things. And man, it's been an incredible opportunity. She's worked at a, at, a, at, a, at a Fortune 500 company. She's learned processes and systems, and God has worked in her. And I said, babe, I need you for this next season. We need you to really be involved in church. I need you to come in and get, and those of you that were in youth ministry, we worked as a team hand in hand. For the last five years, it looks like I've been ministering with just one hand. You know, just kind of just going through it. So I said, babe, would you come work again? Would you come work again? Would you come work again? Well, God started speaking to her heart. God started moving, and she has agreed to take a drastic pay cut, and she is going to come in, and she is going to be our executive administrator at the church. That means she's going to oversee the day-to-day operations and get everything. Jennifer, come up here real quick. And, just yeah, man, I just want you to just pray for this. This is exciting because, man, I have needed this for so long. Man, if you just seen walked in, all of a sudden the, the cafe bar, the 
the coffee bar, which is kind of going, it's just kind of looking nice again. And those of you that have been like, we've been missing her touch. We've been, I've been missing her and everything. So I'm excited for just to have her back. So she's starting April 1st. And this is something we've been praying about and I'm so thankful about. And Jennifer, uh, thank you for believing. Obviously, she's always believed in me. And she, but uh, thank you for take, making the sacrifices it's going to take for this season because we all got to make sacrifices. We said, babe, whatever it takes because people are going to come. The harvest is going to come and we need to be operating like we've always have over the years. So I'm so thankful for that. Love you, Jennifer. I just wanted to call her up. And a couple things, too. There's some other transitions and additions that we're going to make. And one of the things that I believe in, our, we believe and invest in the next generation. One of the things that we're really missing is we're missing a college group here at Freedom Church, right? We're missing, man, we need to reach, man. Do we really believe in it? We need to reach kids that are about 18 to 25. And as we've been praying about that, that next generation, we, we don't want to look around and one day be an older church. And, uh, and, and we want to be able to constantly believe and move and what's that's going to happen. So we've been praying about it. Pastor O.C. and I've been praying about it. So he is, as after much prayer and looking at stages of life, Pastor O.C. will be transitioning and he he will become our young adults pastor, and we're going to young, young, young adults ministry here at Freedom Church. So with that, the next thing that we're going to do is we believe and we need to invest in the next generation. That means we need to locate, find, and pray for just a next generation pastor that's going to eat, breathe, sleep, love the next generation because we need to reach our youth and our kids. So right now we have located, we have interviewed, we are in the process of looking at. I want you to pray for that because how many of you guys know we need to take our next gen ministry to a next level as well? So how many of you guys will be praying with me as we get ready because God is going to move. Dirt is moving. Structures got to move. We got to get ready and nothing's going to hold us back and we're going to be everything that God wants us to be. So will you pray with me that we find the right next generation pastor coming in the future? So let's pray for that as we are interviewing and finding uh, youth pastors. Lord, would you be with us, Lord, for this next season? We thank you for the shiftiness and the buzz. We thank you, Lord God, for the processes are about to change. Lord, I thank you, Lord God, for a brand new beginning. I thank you, God. Lord, you spoke to me this morning, a new season. That's what the Lord spoke to me this morning as I got him. He says, Pastor, there's going to be a new season on this church where churches are going to be planted. God's going to move. And, Lord, would you bring the right people in the right place, in the right leaders, in the name of Jesus. Amen. One last thing. One of the things that God put in my heart when I started this church, that it's not going to be about one person in one state, but God would release people to do great and mighty and awesome things. That I believe that there's pastors and leaders and church planters and missionaries in here. That God is going to call some people. This is not just about one person, but it's about God's dream. And I'm so thankful for that God's already sending some people that way. Man, well, you guys know Brandon Gregory. Gregory, he's led, he's led us through Lent. And he's just one of the few many people that I believe that even in the congregation right now that God's going to stir up. He's got teaching gifts. He's got gifts inside of you. He went to a sister school. I went to Southwestern Assemblies of God University, which is the best Bible college. He went to North Central in, in uh, Minnesota, which is still good, but it's not it's no Southwestern. <laughs> He's been, a, he's got, he, God has used him in some tremendous ways. He's brilliant. He loves the word of God. He's led us through Lent. And uh, this is not just one voice, but thank God for the many voices and the many gifts. So I'm so thankful to get to introduce you to Brandon, his beautiful wife, Gina, and he's going to be sharing God's word with us this morning. Thank you, Brandon. Come up here. And we're so glad you're part of the team. All right. Thanks, Pastor. Hey, Freedom Church. So... One thing that you need to know about me, and we might as well just clear the air, get this out in the open right, right off the bat here, because 
you're going to find out eventually anyway, right? Um, one thing you need to know about me is I am a huge Superman fanboy nerd, okay? You know, some, some kids grow up Batman fans, Wolverine, Spider-Man, Star Wars, whatever fans, and, and at a certain age, they begin to kind of grow out of it, right? It's never happened with me. I don't know, I've got some arrested development issues or something going on, and I just never grew out of it. I still am a huge Superman fanboy nerd. Now, when I say that, I, I feel the need to clarify. I'm going to nerd out on you for just a minute, okay? Um, I feel the need to clarify because I'm afraid that some of you might think that I'm talking about Zack Snyder's Superman, okay? And I'm, I'm definitely not, okay? Some of you know what I'm talking about. If you don't know, Zack Snyder, he's the director of the latest Superman movies like Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, Justice League, all those dark and grimy movies that have huge plot holes and make no sense, that hot mess of Zack Snyder's, okay? No, no. What I'm talking about when I say I'm a Superman fan is I'm referring to, you know, the Richard Donner of the 80s, the, the Christopher Reeve era, right? So that's the Superman I grew up with. That's the Superman that I know and love still today as an adult. And so I say all that to say that I remember a time when it had been 20 years. In fact, I remember the years, 2006, and it had been two decades since we had a Superman movie, right? And, uh, and I say we as if we're all Superman nerds, but I know we're not. But I remember it had been 20 years since we had any kind of Superman movie on the big screen. And even longer, we had to go back even further if we wanted a good Superman movie. Because let's be honest, Superman 3 and 4 were pretty terrible movies, right? But we had waited so long, and we had we'd been teased. We had had rumors of movies that were going to come out. Uh, you know, occasionally a billboard would pop up, and we'd get really excited. We'd hear about a director's been signed on, or so-and-so has been on the cast, you know. And some of the rumors were really exciting and really good, and then just nothing. You know, they would fall through, nothing would happen. Some of the rumors were really terrible, and I'm glad they didn't, you know, make it to fruition like, uh, like Tim Burton as director of Superman. This is a real deal. Like, you can go look it up. This almost happened. Tim Burton was signed on to direct a Superman movie, you know, Nightmare Before Christmas guy. Edward Scissorhands, that guy, was signed on to do a Superman movie, cast Nicolas Cage, where he, his S was made out of knives that he could throw at people. And I'm like... Have you ever seen a Superman comic book? Come on. I mean, we think like Superman, we think Zack Snyder doesn't get Superman, but that would just, that would have been a train wreck. I'm really happy that didn't happen. But I remember when it had been, you know, so long and we had waited, we'd been teased. We had, we had rumors of Superman movies and, and just nothing had happened. And now I remember in 2006, my wife and I were youth pastoring in, uh, in Wisconsin, just outside of Chicago, right on the state line, Wisconsin, Illinois. And uh, I remember turning on the TV and, uh, and saw this. And I remember <laughs> 2006 being, you could imagine my head exploding with excitement, right? Like finally Superman is returning back to the big screen and forget, you know, that it maybe wasn't, didn't turn out to be the greatest movie. Although I would argue that it's better than the Zack Snyder mess, okay? But, you know, we can have that argument later. But I remember, you know, just being so giddy with excitement in my wife being the great wife that she is, she puts up with my nerdiness. You know, she got us tickets to a pre-screening in Chicago, and we got to go into Chicago and see the movie before it even came out. And I'm telling you, dude, it was like Superman nerd heaven. 
People were dressed up, dude. It was like you, everywhere you looked, there was Lex Luthers and, and Lois Lanes all over the place. And the staff came out before the movie and did Superman trivia and handed out prizes. I was in Superman nerd heaven, right? I was so excited. You guys know that feeling. You feeling me like you've ever waited for something for so long, right? Mark, you know, waited decades for a Star Wars movie. And then finally it's here and you get so giddy with excitement you know, Cowboys fans, your day will come one day, right? Sorry, I couldn't resist, couldn't resist. I'm a Chiefs fan. I grew up in Oklahoma, and in Oklahoma, you're either Kansas City sports fans or you're Dallas, and I was always on the Kansas City line of that, so sorry, couldn't resist. But one day, Jerry Jones will get out of the way, and you'll, you'll win again, right? And that day will come. Right, but you know that feeling when you're so excited and you're just, you're, it's, it's, it's this fever pitch moment. That is the feeling that surrounds our passage of the triumphal entry here today in John chapter 12. That's the same feeling that surrounds the, the people here are at a fever pitch. And there's a couple things going on in the background that you need to understand why they're at a, such a fever pitch. One is that it's almost Passover. If you don't know, Passover is the heart of the Jewish calendar. It's their biggest holiday. It's the, the Christmas, if you will. It's always in the springtime. It's the biggest holiday. It's the day that they remember God the rescuer. They remember the exodus when God brought their ancestors out of slavery in Egypt. And so that's on their mind. And couple that with the fact that they've been waiting and longing for. They're under the oppression of the Romans now. And they've been waiting and praying and longing for, for for so long that God would do it again, that there would be a new exodus, that God would send the Messiah and he would come and he'd overthrow the Roman oppressors and reestablish Israel to its rightful place and establish the kingdom of God on earth for eternity. They've been praying for it and longing for it. And then they hear these rumors about this guy who raises people from the dead. And then... Couple that with the fact that uh, he comes riding in on a donkey, and if they knew their Bible, they immediately knew and understood this prophecy being fulfilled as Solomon had ridden into Jerusalem a couple thousand years earlier on a donkey as king. And so they're so giddy with excitement. What do they do? We see other elements here of Hanukkah. Now, Hanukkah is a winter holiday for the, for the Jewish people. And Hanukkah, about 160 years before Jesus, was a guy named Judas Maccabeus. And Judas Maccabeus rose up, overthrew the pagan empire, the pagan oppressors. And what did they do? His followers, they waved palm branches at him and shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they crowned him king of Israel. And they had been waiting and longing for God to send the true Messiah to do it once and for all. And they, here it is, this moment where they're, the God, the rescuer, the, the Passover is on their mind and they've been longing for it. And what do they do when Jesus comes riding in on a donkey? They, they don't care that it's not Hanukkah. They grab palm branches and they start waving them at Jesus and they want to crown him king. They're so excited that this might be their moment. And then, as we all know, the mood doesn't last, does it? In a few short days, the mood changes, the crowds turn against him. And this is what I never understood, right? I remember being younger and reading this kind of just on a surface level and, and thinking, how fickle could these people possibly be, right? How can they go in the span of a week 
from shouting Hosanna, wanting to proclaim Jesus, King of Israel, to crucify him in just a few short days. And then I, you know, as I did some introspection, I realized this is, honestly, it's a reflection of me. Is it not? I think if we're honest with ourselves, we could say, yeah, that's us. We do this all the time. How many times do we come in on Sunday mornings and raise our hands and worship and we say, God, we want you to be king of our lives. And then we walk out the doors, fall right back into old patterns, take the kingship, the throne of our lives back. I do it. I've done it way too many times. And so this is the question for us this morning. On Palm Sunday, we're going into Holy Week this week, sometimes called the Passion Week. This is the question. When we remember that Jesus rode in as a, on the triumphal entry, they wanted to proclaim him king. The question that we wrestle with today is, do we really want Jesus to be king? Do we really want that? And this is essentially the question that Jesus asks his disciples immediately following this. The party's still going on, the party's still raging, and leave it to Jesus to cut through all the hype and get straight to the heart of the matter. Listen to what he says to his disciples in verse 24. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And so, here's what Jesus is saying. First of all, before we break this down, I feel the need to, to clarify. Whenever you see that phrase, eternal life, in North America, we have issues with that, okay? In North America, in our brains, whenever we hear that phrase, eternal life, we tend to think afterlife. We tend to think eternity, okay? But it's important to note that most of the time when the New Testament says that phrase or when Jesus talks about that phrase, he's not talking about afterlife. He's not talking about eternity. He's talking about this life. He's talking about right here on this earth right now. He's talking about a life that you can experience and live in right here and right now. Okay, does it include afterlife? Sure. Does it include eternity? Absolutely. But to strictly, uh, to strictly think of eternal life in terms of afterlife would be to severely miss the point of Jesus' teachings. Okay? And so what he's saying is he had lots of ways to describe this. He, you know, at one point he calls it abundant life. God came to give us abundant life. Or he describes it as rivers of living water that's flowing from it. You'll never thirst again. Paul calls it the life that is truly life. He says to take hold of it. He calls it the resurrection life. There's lots of different descriptions about this kind of life that God meant for us originally to live, okay? So now, let's break this down. What Jesus is saying to his disciples, he's asking them, listen, do you really do you really want me to be king? Because here's what that means. That means that you must die. That means that you must die to yourself. Follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. That's what that means. So he's cutting through all the hype and he's just getting straight to the heart of the matter. Do you really want me to be king? Or do you just want to punch your ticket to heaven? Right? And so he's asking this question to his disciples. Essentially, what he's saying is count the cost. 
of discipleship. There's an old, decades-old book from an old theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer in it called The Cost of Discipleship. And in it, he says, when a Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. He bids him come and die. So unless we die to ourselves and take up our cross to care for the poor, the orphan, the widow, the immigrants, and unless we die to ourselves to start standing up for the oppressed and the marginalized, you know what will happen? Nothing. We produce nothing. Unless a seed falls and dies, it produces nothing. It's worthless. We'll be like the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And the Bible says he walked away sad because he counted the cost of discipleship, and it was too great. And let's be honest. The cost of discipleship is indeed great. It is indeed great. But I would argue, as Dallas Willard says, the cost of non-discipleship is even greater. So we can't just count the cost of discipleship. We also have to count the cost of non-discipleship. And the cost of non-discipleship, when Jesus says, listen, you love your life? Essentially, you're welcome to keep it. You're welcome to keep, keep the kingship of your life. You love your life, you love your privilege, you love your comfort, you're welcome to keep it. But what do you lose in doing so? You lose the life that God meant for you to live, the eternal kind of life. Jesus is saying that God has more for us. You love your life, you want to keep it, that's fine, but it's a lesser kind of life. And it's temporary. It's temporary. It's not going to last. As a, every guy's favorite movie in the 90s, Braveheart, sums it up perfectly. It says, every man dies, not every man really lives. Every man, that's the gospel, y'all. Every man dies, not every man really lives. I love the words of the old song, Oh, the wonderful cross bids me come and die and find that I may truly live. So let's take it even further, though. What's the cost of non-discipleship on our community and on our world? What's the cost of non-discipleship on Round Rock? I would argue the cost of non-discipleship looks like foster kids sleeping in state offices due to a lack of beds. You know, there's about 30,000 foster kids in the state of Texas. Not just, that's total, not just the ones sleeping in state offices. You know how many churches there are? About 30,000. I'm going to let that just sit with you for a second. I would argue the cost of non-discipleship looks like people being oppressed and marginalized because of the color of their skin. I would argue the cost of non-discipleship looks like broken families and marriages. You see, it was the early Christians who put an end to segregation and worship in the temple. It was the early Christians who started the first orphanages, who would rescue babies out of city street dumps in Rome. It was the early Christians who put an end to the gladiator games. I mean, you talk about injustice, forcing slaves to kill each other for entertainment purposes. The sad truth of the matter is, Freedom Church, is that we have too many people 
who have opted for non-discipleship. This is the sad truth of the matter. There are far too many people walking around in our churches who are merely existing and not really living. We need the church. Our community needs the church to begin to go all in on discipleship to reorient our daily schedules and our lives around sitting at the feet of Jesus, being his student. That's what a disciple is, a student of Jesus, saying, Jesus, teach me the way of the heavens. Teach me how to live the life that is truly life. And so we've got a couple of resources for you this week. As we go into Holy Week, we put together a few things for you to reorient your week around the passion of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit. First, we've created a, in our weekly calendar, if you haven't done any of the Lent stuff with us uh, so far, that's fine. Okay, jump, I encourage you to jump in with us this week. Uh, one of the things that we have going is our calendar this week. We've, we've built it around an ancient practice called the daily office. And the daily office finds its roots in Scripture back when Daniel would open up his windows three times a day towards Jerusalem and pray. And so all you got to do, set a little alarm on your phone and try it this week. Morning, midday, evening, set a little alarm to remind yourself to just stop. Listen for the voice of God. And before you, before you say, dude, I don't have time for that, okay? Trust me, I understand. I know how busy things can be, but I would encourage you, just try it. Try it this week, and you might find how refreshing it is to have a mini Sabbath in the middle of your day. And you might realize, I can't afford, I don't have time to not do this. We need to reorient our lives around the voice of God sitting at the feet of Jesus. And if it doesn't bring life to you, you know what? Skip it. It's just a discipline. It's a spiritual discipline. We're not going to be legalistic about anything, okay? But we need to begin to reorient our lives around being students of Jesus. And so a couple of things here. As we go into Holy Week, I'm really excited about Holy Week this year. And, and let me just say, one of, the, one of the reasons that I love uh, the liturgical calendar of the church, if you will. See, I grew up in a charismatic background, the Assemblies of God, where we didn't do any of the Advent or the Lent or any of the liturgical things on the, on, the, on the calendar, you know, like if you grew up Catholic or something like that. Uh, and so I came into this just a few years ago. And one of the things, one of the reasons that I'm loving this stuff is because it, it gives me moments with my kids. It gives me opportunities to be pastor dad, right? It gives me opportunities to create cool traditions with my kids where we light, you know, the, the Advent candle each week before Christmas. And, and I get to teach them about uh, Jesus. I get to teach them about my, uh, our faith, right? And so we've loved so far the Lent, if you've done any of the, the Lent kids stuff with us, where we put the, the verses up on our wall, we tape them up on our wall, and our kids fight over, no, I get to move Jesus today, you know? And they move Jesus one little space on the wall, and we, we read the scripture and, and get to talk about the words of Jesus and that kind of deal. And so <clears throat> that's why I'm loving uh, this stuff. And so this week, Holy Week, a couple of things that we've got going on. Let me just break it down here for you real quick. Holy Monday and Tuesday, 
we read the scripture, we remember Jesus cursing the fig tree and Jesus throwing out the money changers, both of which, by the way, are commentaries on God's anger at the state of Israel, at producing nothing, right? Then on Holy Wednesday, we read the story and remember uh, Mary anointing Jesus' feet. Then we get into Maundy Thursday, okay? Now, Maundy's a weird word. This simply means new commandment. We remember the Lord's Supper, okay, when uh, Jesus... Uh, washed his disciples' feet, served his disciples, and he said, a new commandment I give to you. Love one another just as I have loved you. And so one of the things I'm really excited about this year is a Seder dinner. I've never done it before. This is going to be my first time, but it's going to be another cool tradition, I'm assuming, with my kids that they're going to remember for a lifetime. A Seder dinner is the heart of the Passover feast. Right? It's the time when they remember God the Rescuer, bringing them out of Exodus, and they break the bread, they drink the juice to remember the lamb that was broken and poured out for their freedom, right? And so we've found a kid-friendly version of a Seder dinner, a Christian version of a Seder dinner. You can try it out if you want with your family this year along with us. And then finally on Good Friday, Stations of the Cross. This has become one of my absolute favorite pastor dad moments over the last several years. The last couple of years, I've taken my kids over to St. William Catholic Church where they have a beautiful outdoor Stations of the Cross. This year, we're going to do it right here from 2 to 7, or we'll have an online version as well. And it's simply kind of like a mini pilgrimage, if you will. You don't even have to go to Israel, but you can come here and do a kind of a mini pilgrimage where you can walk the Via Dolorosa, the, the way of suffering with Jesus, starting in the garden. And you go from one station, you read the scripture, you meditate on it, and then you walk to the next station all the way through his trial and to the cross and experience his passion. Okay? So, as we enter this most sacred of weeks, the Passion Week, and as we begin to prepare our hearts for Resurrection Sunday, I kind of want us to contemplate the Passover just a minute. Okay? See, the Passover, if you don't know the story, it was about the exodus from slavery in Egypt. God had instructed the Israelites to sacrifice a lamb, take its blood, put it on their doorposts, so that when the angel of death came to kill all the firstborn sons in the land of Egypt, the angel would pass over their house, thus setting them free from slavery in Egypt. But there was a second exodus coming, a greater exodus. See, the first exodus was simply a hint of the kind of redemption that God had in mind for all eternity, for all humanity. And there's a deeper Egypt, isn't there, that lives in all of us, that we're all born into, born into a slavery of violence and sin and death. And that is what we truly need an exodus from. And so the Lord's Supper, on the night Jesus was betrayed, this is what Jesus was doing. He's remembering with his disciples the Passover, God the Rescuer. And he begins to apply these symbols to himself. Instead of the bread representing the lamb, He says, this is my body broken.
And this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And then he says something interesting. He says, do this in remembrance of me. I read a book several years ago by Rob Bell and Don Golden where they dove into this phrase. And I thought it was really interesting. Because normally when we read that phrase, do this in remembrance of me, we think he's talking about a ritual. We think he's talking about taking communion, you know, breaking the bread, <clears throat> drinking the juice. Yeah, do this in remembrance of me and what he did for us. But see, Paul, later on in the New Testament, begins to apply these symbols to the church. He says, we are the body of Christ. We, in other words, are the incarnation of God in this world now. We are the ones that are supposed to show the world what God looks like. And so what is the this that Jesus is really talking about when he says, do this in remembrance of me? Is he talking about a ritual? Or is he talking about laying down our lives the way that he laid down his life for us? See, we, as the church, are the ones that are to be broken and poured out for the healing of our communities. We are the ones that are to be broken and poured out for the healing of Round Rock. So let's pray. Jesus, let your kingdom come. So we remember your triumphal entry when the Israelites wanted to proclaim you king. We don't take that lightly. This morning, that's our prayer. Be the king of our lives. We surrender our throne. We surrender our lives to you. Be the king of our lives. Let your kingdom come, that you will be done in us and in Round Rock, just as it is in heaven. Thanks again for listening to the Freedom Church podcast. We hope that you were inspired and motivated to continue to grow in your faith. Don't forget to subscribe and share with others.